Oh, hi, everybody. My name is Matt Storrs, and welcome to Matt's Planning. On today's episode, I have somebody on who's going to talk about their area of expertise, and I'm very excited to get to talk to them. Expert, please introduce yourself and tell us what you're an expert in. Hello. Thank you for having me, Matt. My name is Alex Fleming, and I am an expert in Star Trek, all of its forms. Fantastic. I am a huge fan of Star Trek myself, and my understanding of the series is that originally it was developed by Gene Roddenberry, or as it originally was pronounced, Gene Roddenberry, but he had to kind of dumb that down for people. They The overpronunciation was seen as something that people thought well, that's very gauche, I guess. And he wanted to develop a set of religions, not unlike Scientology. And he figured that the best way to do it would be to introduce a bunch of alien civilizations, this ideal of a humanist future that human has, humans have developed where they're exploring space, coming in contact with all these different alien races. You have the Klingons, you have the Vulcans, the Romulans, you have eventually the Borg, you have all of these different uh, nationalities, these different religions, these different viewpoints on the world and society, and they're all coming together. But then it's like, oh, you can have analogs to different countries and viewpoints on the planet, but also different religions. And you could basically say, okay, well, this is the new space religion. And his idea was that eventually he would be able to replace the religions that we had in our day-to-day -day lives with these religions. And it would just be like, oh, okay, they're going to have to use the dictates of the Klingon empire. And so like we could bet, <laughs> we could better figure out how to deal with those people as opposed to somebody that has like an evangelical upbringing where like it might not be as consistent with like the rules and dictates that they have to go by. Whereas if they had the Klingon rule set, I don't know if it's like a set of dynamics that they follow or how they structure it, if they use lists or if it's like a bullet point system, but they would be like, oh, well, you're, you're, uh, the, you're disrespecting the honor of you, your your clan, whatever it is. And that would just make it a lot easier to negotiate with people. And I think that one thing that a lot of people overlook is the, the Star Trek Enterprise, a lot of iterations of that, and a lot of maintenance behind the scenes to get these ships up and running, a lot of things that are overlooked. It's not unlike the Fast and the Furious movies in a lot of ways, like where they are going and they're souping up these cars and they're putting NAS in, NAS as in nitrous oxide, as opposed to the musician. He's not in, in the cars, from my understanding. <laughs> but you have... I thought you meant NOG at first. Oh, no, also not NOG. That's a common misunderstanding. NOG, actually, if you put it into an engine, it will clog it up and it will, it'll cause it not to run as effectively and possibly explode. Not unlike NAS if misused but with with the enterprise there's all of these different iterations and one of the biggest pieces of feedback was like oh we don't see how those things are actually being built and that's actually one of the things that the fast and the furious franchise took to heart and was like oh well we should get these people working on the cars you're talking about the ship enterprise right not the uh, the series itself enterprise the, yeah the the ship itself all the different iterations because like there's all these different cars in the fast and the furious franchise but you see them getting worked on as time progresses and so like you can see how they go from being able to drag race really effectively to going into space 
And there's actually a theory that the first contact, the original plan with the Fast and Furious 9, I think, was actually to have it be first contact when they go to space and have it be a rewrite and a reboot of the Star Trek franchise with Vin Diesel and the Fast and the Furious people being the ones that actually facilitated first contact. And that's a major rewrite, obviously. You don't have Star Trek first contact at that point, but they they got scrapped, unfortunately. I'm not familiar with Fast and the Furious, so you're going to have to help me understand that connection of continuity. Oh, they go, they go they go to they go to space in in the ninth one. They take a car to space. Okay, okay, yeah, but they uh, don't meet any Vulcans. And then, to my knowledge, they do not meet Vulcans. And then there's also the the famous the Borg were originally envisioned as a pitch from the network to give the cast and the storylines to be better stories and a more consistent villain to go throughout the different episodes. But the actual original, famously, Captain Picard was assimilated in, spoiler alert, (laughs) but the original plan was for Riker to be assimilated, and the original pitch for that episode was Riker was going to come in, and he was actually going to make the Borg very, I know I put this delicately, very sexually promiscuous and I knew you were going to say that I knew it I I I don't I really hadn't heard any of this about Riker but uh, you're of course referring to Hutus of Borg the uh, the version of Captain Picard who has become Borgified right yeah and I believe Riker's was going to be lascivious of a Borg oh. I think uh, yeah so or lascivious I'm not sure but uh, I thought it was yeah. supposed to be ch- chair of Bork or four of four, I believe. Right. Yeah. I, I'm I'm not familiar with how the Bork categorize themselves. But ultimately, I think that that was one of the big instances where there were a lot of background behind the scenes negotiations with how people on the set and how people kind of put themselves into different roles or like kind of advocated for themselves and to get into different roles. And I think that that's one of the biggest takeaways from Star Trek as a whole is how people are constantly trying to get in and like make their mark on the franchise. Now, based on what you've heard so far, about how much of that would you say is accurate? Honestly, it's pretty good. I'd say like 40% of it is accurate. Okay, 40%. Uh, I mean, the broad strokes are there. It is a TV show. It's kind of religious in the sense that like there's very fleshed out alien religions and the followers of Star Trek, because I, 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 there's the actual content of Star Trek. And then there's the sort of cultural impact of Star Trek and right. the communities that have and the history that it's become intertwined with television history and American history and sci-fi history in so many different ways. And there's I mean, it's there's so much to cover with that. And in that sense, I mean, if you look at like Star Trek conventions and the culture around it, there is definitely a religious overtone to it in the way that i mean i think it's a little bit more obvious with star wars fans when they mm-hmm. um, you have the stereotype of them putting jedi down on the, the census as their religion or whatnot right and star trek also being one of i mean you definitely got it right with gene roddenberry being the creator of star trek in 1967 i believe mm-hmm. it, and what's really fascinating to me about 
the series, and I think something that's underappreciated when people talk about you're you're talking about the Borg and and all these versions in the '90s and how the Enterprise goes goes through all these versions. That of course being the main ship that is is focused on pretty much every Star Trek television series and most of the movies all feature that ship getting upgrades and all sorts of things like that in a way where there is an attention to detail and the mechanics of the ship that absolutely makes me think of like gearheads and car heads and the sort of thing like that with that connection with fast and the honestly to be the most surprising and possibly accurate and galaxy quest was the other big thing that i couldn't help but think of uh, sort of probably the most understandable Star Trek parody in the mainstream. I'm sure you've seen Galaxy Quest, right, Matt? I have, yes. Yeah, and in that movie, and they take it as historical documents, and so they've built their life around replicating it. And so all that <laughs> all that stuff about trying to give people a way to see the world and live with the world, that's kind of it, because the thing that makes Star Trek so important to me is it's pretty much the only major franchise with a utopian vision of the future that I see in our culture, right? It's the only uh, popular story out there that says things are going to get better. Of course, not everything is going to get solved. In fact, I want to be great to have different problems than the ones that we usually have. Problems that are caused by pushing the boundaries of scientific exploration or that come from cooperation, you know, that, that cooperate, that peace is not inherently boring and that, that it takes effort to to manufacture peace there's episodes in the the original series that really broke ground at the time you might have heard the story about how martin luther king jr called up nichelle nichols who plays lieutenant uhura and and told her to please stay on the show when she was considering quitting because she was one of the only black characters that wasn't being a secretary basically on tv at the time the very famous Captain Picard character played by Patrick Stewart, who's just, I think, been sort of a, a fake dad to millions of people around the world and who's sort of known for his his sort of level-headed, very empathetic approach to solving problems. He's not a, a, a punch-first kind of guy. He's a think-first kind of guy. You right. have the inclusion of... A, so one of the things you definitely got right is like inclusion of different nationalities and perspectives as being sort of a central thing. So in the, in the original series of Star Trek, you have not only Uhura being a Black woman as a communications officer who's really critical to the plot of a lot of episodes, though she may not have as many speaking lines as we would want today. You have a very multi-ethnic and racial and, and national crew. You have a Russian man on the bridge of the Enterprise in Chekhov, which he doesn't show up until season two. And that at the time, the Cold War is at its height. And so the idea that there would be that Russians and folks with American accents would be working hand in hand at a time when people were saying better dead than red and imagining nuclear holocaust, I mean, this is very... I think very powerful. Mm -hmm. You have the character of Spock, who is kind of seen as a, a very there, there's a lot of like early asexual icons in Star Trek, or sort okay. of kind of generic, generally queer icons with with Spock and Data specifically as being these these kind of guys who don't fit into. I mean, especially in the in the ace community, you have this sort of stereotype of like if you're not interested in sex, you must be a robot, which is data specifically. Mm. Although data is canonically um, fully sexually capable. Oh yeah. He's yeah. trained in 4,000. 
ways of pleasure, I believe is the accurate amount. <laughs> that, that sounds right. He definitely says something about it. Let's see. We, we covered the Enterprise. Oh, the Borg. So it's really interesting. Something that I think is not understood enough. You mentioned Gene Roddenberry, and he's sort of the, the original founding father of Star Trek. But then there is the sort of Satan character, the fallen angel, which is Rick Berman who is responsible for the Borg, basically. And so Roddenberry dies and Rick Berman is given control of Star Trek. This is after, so the original series happened and then there was the sort of cult-like following around Star Trek where they would start having the conventions, the sort of religious aspect to Star Trek where people would go, hey, this is the only utopian vision of the future. Wouldn't it be cool to live in a future that doesn't suck? Let's, let's play around in that fantasy. And that brings all the people in the hippie movement or people who are religious and want to to do good charitable works or people who are politically motivated to kind of draws those sorts of people together or people who just like sci-fi mm-hmm. after gene ronberry passes this guy who is famous for getting notes from the studios for wanting more conflict in his episodes and less peace and less getting along so when he passes rick berman gets control and at the time star trek hadn't been anything but movies for a while mm-hmm. I was just refreshing myself. So Star Trek The Motion Picture comes out in 79. There'd been no Star Trek between like 1970 and 79, but people kept loving it. Right. So they put out like six movies. And uh, that was my introduction to Star Trek, to be honest. It was watching movies. The the even ones are the best ones of the original Star Trek. Uh, okay. So like Star Trek II is Wrath of Khan. That's amazing. Star Trek IV is The Journey Home. That's the one that was honestly my first movie and it's still my favorite Star Trek movie. It's... A beautiful comedy and it's so it's kind of maligned by some of the fandom too because it's not as serious as self-serious as some of the other episodes which is part of or movies and that's part of what i love about it is that it takes all of the weight and gravity of star trek but puts a very approachable comedy face over it hmm. yeah that's, so that, that makes a lot of sense right and that's why i think it's i recommend if, if anyone has not seen star trek that should be your gateway point is watch star trek for the, the voyage home because it still holds up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then Rick Berman gets a hold of it. And you mentioned the cultural force, the Borg, the sort of vying to to get into these positions. So when, when Rick Berman takes over, there's a, a slight memory of the Ferengi, which were a villain that Berman, or, I mean, sorry, that Roddenberry originally developed. They're these sort of craven, money-obsessed, vaguely Jewish-looking space goblins mm-hmm. who are supposed to represent America, basically. Right. Um, capitalism is their primary love. And they're kind of supposed to be the villains of the next generation when they're like, we're going to make Star Trek a show again. But instead, Berman decides to move to the Borg, uh, okay. which are introduced, I believe, in Star Trek First Contact, the, the film. Mm-hmm. And the Borg are the stand-in for any kind of authoritarian collectivist society, very clearly trying to be either, I mean, the fallen Soviet Union or communist China or North Korea. But this, I, the big fear of the Borg is they assimilate you. And I mean, they're definitely resonant in our culture. You've probably heard resistance is futile. That's their, their slogan. Right. Um, they had that really awesome 90s cyberpunk aesthetic where they have wires coming out of their head. I've always thought they looked really cool. Yeah. They're very influential. And they're an unstoppable killing force that like they, they keep what's what's it called? Evolving based on any kind. So like you shoot them with your laser gun and they're like, aha, we figured out the shield frequency to stop your lasers. So they're like they're supposed to be this sort of 
unstoppable evil force to fill in that role of villain of the week, like you were talking about, in order to to kind of create a reason to have Star Trek be more like the other shows on TV and to have more of a traditional action adventure feel instead of exploring philosophical questions or giving you anti-war propaganda like the original series did. And not, not to, to rain on the original on, on the next generation's parade because they did a lot of really good stuff too. But right. this is definitely the Berman era that I'm talking about. So there's this kind of push towards Let's make this more regular TV. Let's get more people on board. Let's keep making it bigger budget. And then you see that moving into the the J.J. Abrams Kelvin timeline era where we've got Chris Pine and the, the reboot of the original series trying to, to get all these all this content that's already been produced, all these these characters that are books and and games and fan fiction. I mean, the idea of slash fiction basically comes out of people of women writing Kirk and Spock gay romance fantasies. Right. Um, I mean, that makes a lot of sense as the originator. There was so much sexual tension from what I've seen. Oh yeah. Oh, there's it's, it's amazing. Like the Kirk loves two things in his life. He loves the enterprise and he loves Spock and there's no room for anything else. Absolutely. Uh, with with the shows, I know that there's been a lot of discussion of like how people got on. Was there has there been any indications of has there been any indications of like how people got cast on the show, how they picked people for the movies or anything like that? I know there's been a lot of iterations. Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think it's important because there's certain characters. One of the things that I think is interesting about Star Trek is there's a lot of concepts that have snuck into society, the goateed evil twin, the mirror universe of where where there's your your evil twin lives there that's it was pioneered by Star Trek, the the Borg as we're talking about, and there's these these few iconic characters, Captain Picard, Captain Kirk, Captain Janeway was a really important figure being the first female captain. You get Avery Brooks as the first black captain who doesn't even get to at first be a captain of a starship. He's a commander of a a, a spaceport of a, a station, and then he eventually mm-hmm. gets the, the Defiant. So there's a lot of of focus and scrutiny over these these casting of these these captains, right? There, you've probably heard of the the debate over who's the better captain, Kirk or Picard. That was sort of a, an older version of Star Trek. A very friendly rivalry in the fan community because they they sort of stand for different philosophies. Right, uh, Kirk is is just barging ahead, sort of noble knight, but also he's kind of an idiot. And then Picard is is the, the calculating diplomat. Mm-hmm. So after and and then you get Avery Brooks as as the the fierce the, everyone's favorite black dad who who is unshakable in his convictions, full of compassion. And willing to do whatever it takes to protect the people he needs to protect. And but the role that, like after Avery Brooks was cast as Benjamin Sisko, you don't really see him very much. And he talks about he was cast partially because he was this. He played Hawk, which is this sort of like Shaft esque tough black detective. Mm-hmm. So when when the rumors were coming out that they were going to get Hawk to play the new captain this was a big deal and part of the the marketing strategy and i i don't really know too much about the the story of, of how he was chosen other than it was 
really big deal that they were going to have a black captain. This is part of Star Trek is always trying to be progressive, to push the envelope. And they're always hampered by the, by the moment that they're in or by the people who control things. And I think the, the, the biggest, most juicy secret that I re- actually, I really need to talk about. Okay. That you brought up casting is the casting of Kate Mulgrew as Captain Janeway for Star Trek Voyager. This is not something that's talked about a lot. And unfortunately, I think a great example of this dichotomy of Star Trek, where I've talked to friends who are younger than me, and sometimes I'm like, hey, I love Star Trek. And they're like, me too. I love Star Trek. Janeway, right? And I'm like, I didn't watch Voyager until like two, three years ago. I had had just never seen it. I was slightly too young for it. Yeah, young for it when it was on TV. I had never been able to watch. I watched a lot of The Next Generation on actual television. I watched a lot of reruns of the original series on television, all on Sci Fi Channel. Saw a lot of random episodes of Deep Space Nine and a handful of, of random episodes of Voyager. When I was in college, I. I binged all of the Next Generation and all of Deep Space Nine and fell in love with those. But Voyager, I just it, it hadn't made my list yet. So, that's part of the thing with Star Trek. It's one of these fandoms like Doctor Who or One Piece where there's just an infinite amount of content to consume, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so you have this big figure, Captain Janeway. She's the first female captain in the series, right? So it's it's a big deal. People know that Star Trek captains are the faces of their teams and people understand the cultural impacts of trying to have progressive casting in, in Star Trek leadership roles. And, and so the thing that is really not known and not talked about, and is honestly my favorite, if you're at a party and we're talking about Star Trek and we, we start to to connect, I want to know if, if you're on the, on the, if, if you're hip to this. So the first captain female captain of i believe the enterprise it was supposed to be is actually a woman who is hardly ever talked about genevieve bujold mm-hmm. her story is rather sad now this is the sort of thing that i only uncovered because i was in a number or am in a number of star trek facebook groups okay which is a whole other aspect of the we could talk about new trek versus old trek and the 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 Star Trek and Gen Z and, and millennials. That's a whole nother conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so through these groups, I found a number of YouTube channels that I'll try and share some, if, if I can find the the actual videos that I watched. If, if mm-hmm. people fact check. Yeah, go. sure. I uh, will say we are running low on time, but what is, so what exactly happened with this, with this first potential female captain? Genevieve Bujold was like a, French movie star at the time and she was brought in and Kate Mulgrew was dating one of the writers mm-hmm. uh, according to the sources and uh, so the the story which there's videotape of Kate Mulgrew telling the story at a number of Star Trek conventions is that Genevieve Bujold was like not doing great on her first day so people started making fun of her French accent when she would go engage and mm-hmm. kind of stoke this and made some comments, like took her aside and said, this is going to suck. You ever done TV before? And Genevieve was like, no. And Kate was like, well, you got to wake up early and it's uh, awful conditions and you make hardly any money and you'll never see the sun again. 
and just just laid it on thick. And then after a day of her being ridiculed on set, Genevieve Bujold quits. Oh wow! And there's all these stories where you can see in the in the clips that I'll share of Kate Mulgrew just laughing it up, telling the story about how much Genevieve Bujold sucked. And uh, so the 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 allegation is that Kate Mulgrew got to Rick Berman mm-hmm. uh, through her connections with the writer and positioned herself to be the next in line when you have quit. That's that's wild. If people wanted to learn more about Star Trek or want more about you, where would you recommend that they look? I do a little podcast called The Bloodwine Boys. Excellent. You can find it. It's Bloodwine is one word and boys has a Z. Mm-hmm. Or, Very heavy. Thank you. Thank you. Blood wine being the, the the Klingon alcoholic beverage of choice. We are a group of Star Trek fans who have started watching the original series from the beginning. We're on a bit of a hiatus because Brian's getting married, but mm-hmm. uh, we have gotten up to about halfway through season two. We'd, we've never seen the original series before. And so you can catch our recaps, analyses and discussions of all of seasons one and half season two on the pod. We also do a bunch of sidetracks to other episodes from other features. We just did a, a one about the Union episode of Deep Space Nine as a special about the strikes going on with the Writers Guild of America, potentially SAG-AFTRA, and of course, Medieval Times in California. Excellent. Excellent. And what about you? Where can people find you? Yeah, I'm on socials at Sandwich Fleming. That's 1M and Fleming, all one word, Sandwich Fleming on Instagram and on Twitter. You can find links. You can find the video games I've made. You can find the link to Bloodwine Boys there. So please, would love to talk about Star Trek with you. And thank you for listening to this deluge of, of Trek. I appreciate it, Matt. Absolutely. I absolutely loved it. My name is Matt Stores, and this has been Matt Splaining. <laughs>